Welcome to the Sunday School Sanctuary of the Palm Beaches. Can't wait to worship with you all. I'm excited for revival today. I can't wait. I have some expectation in my heart. It's going to be a great Sunday to worship the Lord. There's no place I would rather be than right here in the presence of God with God's people, worshiping alongside them, praying with them, helping them through their everyday needs. Oh, in the mighty name of Jesus. So the Lord, uh, you know, actually, before I, I start teaching, the prelude to what I uh, prepared today, uh, I had several people come up to me and just say, hey, I, I would like for you to teach on Revelations because there's so much confusion in it. And, uh, and so I was kind of like, you know, I, I did a lot of studying in school on uh, Revelations at a 20-page uh, dissertation written on Revelations. There's a lot of information about Revelations, and then there's a lot of confusion in just uh, deception, too, found what's being taught nowadays about revelations and misinformation. We'll call it misinformation over deception, because I don't know if some of the people know that what they're saying is actually deceptive. But misinformation, uh, miscategorizations of what uh, revelations is. And uh, anyone in here, when you're reading through revelations, are you just kind of like, what is going on, Right? Like, how, how do I get through this? So let's go ahead and just pray to, to open up our minds and our hearts. Lord Jesus, right now, mighty God, that, Lord, that you would touch my mind, that you would touch my tongue, that our ears would be open, Lord, that our minds would be open, that we would receive this, this word of, of God, this word of, of textual history, Lord, and, and that we will all learn something from this and that we would all be able to... to to be able to explain it better and to have greater understanding and greater uh, revelation about the, the book. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, Revelations. Raise your hand if you, have, you understand all the prophecies of Revelations. You know exactly what's going to happen. All right, great, fantastic. We're all on the same page. Perfect. Awesome, because there's some people out there who know exactly what's going to happen. They know exactly when Jesus is coming back. Edward's back there. He knows exactly when Jesus is going to come back. He had two hands up when I said that, but I did ignore him until right now. But uh, he's the most spiritual man in the room. <laughs> no, but, uh, but honestly, when, when I got into school, I, I've heard so much information about Revelations. This is going to be more of a history lesson. This is actually going to be a three-part um, I'm going to lay a foundation, and then the next time I teach, I'm going to go through actual scriptures, and the next time I teach, I'm going to close it. So this is actually three parts. So I'm going to really not go through too much scripture. I'm going to give you guys the textual historical background of where it was written, why it was written, how it was written, and the, the actual original textual meanings and history um, of each chapter. Hopefully we get there. It's a lot of information. So uh, the bulk of traditional Sources date the book in the reign of the Roman emperor Domitian, and Domitian is, was one of the people who led one of the greatest persecutions of Christians. A lot of people think that Nero, um, at, the time of, uh, at the time of when John and the apostles were walking, Nero was the emperor of the time of, of Rome, and they thought that, you know, most people are like, oh, Nero is the one who persecuted him. Actually, it was Domitian. Domitian was one of the most ruthless rulers and emperors who ever walked the earth. He it's almost kind of like David where, you know, Saul killed thousands, but David killed tens of thousands. Yeah, this is, what, this is like what Nero was, was Saul. He killed thousands, but Domitian 
purposely tried to wipe out the Christian faith. And, um, and so this is when this was written. Between, they, they have it between uh, 81 to 96 AD. That's what most of the historians have agreed upon. Um, the word revelations, it actually uh, in the Greek is apocalypses. And apocalypses uh, means unveiling, the unveiling. It is the last book that is written within the, the New Testament. And the reason being it's the last is because it's what closes our great canon, right? It's the coming of Jesus Christ. It is the taking of the church out of this world, out of uh, tribulation or after the tribulation. We'll talk a little bit about that and where those trains of thoughts come from. Um, and, the, and this is what... Cl- and then this is kind of what ends our faith. This is, and really it's kind of what begins our, our next journey of eternity. So in a way, it's, it's kind of one thing's done, but really our new beginning happens once we get into heaven, once we're with Jesus and we're, we're with him and we're worshiping him uh, for all of eternity, which is the goal, right? It's the goal. Getting to heaven is the goal, right? Making it there. All right. So it is broken down. Uh, so John in the, well, it's broken down into three categories. John in the obedience of Jesus Christ, the commandment he wrote down in the book, three divisions of history revealed to him in Revelations. We see this in Revelations 1 and 19. Uh, it's what you see, right, what we see right now, what is, and what is to take place after here. Okay, so what you see according to a historical interpretation of the book of Revelations, what you see is not only all the visions presented to John on the island of Patmos. This is when John wrote this. Where was he? He was in exile. He was on the island of Patmos. Patmos was um, just a, you know, a lot of people. It wasn't heavily populated. He was what? He was running from persecution. We know that John did what? That he died of old age. Um, and uh, but <laughs> it wasn't because people weren't trying to kill him. Let's be honest. There was persecution going on. Uh, at that time, and actually the greatest persecution of the church was just about to begin through Domitian. And according to the historical interpretation of, of Revelations, this, the visionary represented by which was shown to him of the history of the people of God from the past through the time of the preaching of the gospel in his own time during the first century. Chapters 6 through 16, it is the what is. According to the Historical interpretation of the book of Revelations, what is, pertains to the time of the persecution, or the, the persecution of the Christians by the Jews, by the pagan empire under the emperors of Nero and Domitian during the lifetime of John. We understand that chapters 1 through 5 is what? It is the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And most of the time I tell people to stop at, you know, <laughs> at chapter 5. When you're done reading chapter 5 kind of just read through it and take it for what it is, but one through five are, to me, some of the most important parts because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, who is sitting on the throne. We don't, this is one of the strongest theological arguments against what we would consider the the Trinity. Um, How many people are on the throne in heaven? One. How many people are seen on the throne in heaven? There's one. Who is that person? Who did they see? Well, they saw who? They saw Jesus Christ. That's chapters one through five, which is the great revelation um, of who God was, the, the, the visible uh, representation of the invisible God while he was here on earth. Um, so what is to take place? 
So what is to take place? According to a historical interpretation of the book of Revelations, what is to take place afterwards is the revelation of the inevitable judgment of the future destruction of the pagan Roman Empire and the triumph of Christianity through time. The triumph of Christianity through time. All right, so we're going to get into the five most common methods of interpretation of the book of Revelations. The very first method, the one that um, for some reason, quite a few scholars tend to, but uh, most, most people, they, uh, they do kind of condemn this view. So basically what it is, it's called Peterism. What is Peterism? Peterism uh, is, the, is the method that views that all of Revelations is already done, including judgment, that we're already here. It's, it's kind of a an idea that's becoming very popular within the, the southern hemisphere. Uh, and it's been around since 1614 by a guy named um, Jesuit. And Jesuit, or Spanish Jesuit, but his name was Alakazar. And Alakazar, what he taught was that everything in Revelations has already happened. And God no longer intervenes within his prophecies because it's already happened. And because of that, we're just here living I don't know if it's the millennial period or, or what it is, this time of um, where Satan is already kind of coming through. It's kind of, it just depends on how you believe a postmodern, uh, post-trib, mid-trib, pre-trib. And Peterism kind of falls into the after post-trib, like way after. And we're just kind of still here. And there's no destruction yet. So it's kind of weird in how it, um, and how it, intertwines within their theology, especially when it comes to revelations. For some adherents of this method, there is no God to foretell the future so that for them it is impossible for prophecy to be accurately predicted or to accurately predict the future and therefore prophetic writings constitute only merely commentary about the present time of prophets in their day. Thus everything in the book of Revelations was completely fulfilled in the first century. In the second coming of Christ, the resurrection of the, the dead and last judgment. This view was represented by the writings and the opinions of uh, liberalist scholars ranging from Marcus Bogue all the way to Raymond Brown. So if you want to learn about Peterism and what they think and how they feel, uh, those are some authors that you can read. Now here's a more popular one with the times that we're in now. It's called the idealist or idealism. And idealism views the prophecies of both Daniel and Revelations as a symbolic representation of eternal truths about good and evil. Try to create spiritual lessons from the texts themselves and for their readers and students and congregations. There are probably as many idealist interpretations as there are interpreters. Why? Because an idealist can just look at the scripture, interpret it however he wants and however he feels and however he thinks about the time period that he's in and then interpret it and tell it to the church or the congregation of the church. How many times did we hear Jesus is coming back in 1994? You know, how many times did we hear that he was coming back in 2012, December 23rd? How many times did we hear because the Mayan calendar stopped on that date? You know, we, we kept hearing these things. And the reason why it stopped on that date is because uh, they died. And because they died, they couldn't build another calendar. But it's fun stuff. The... Um, so continuing on in the idealism, idealism is taking popularity. Why? Because it's my own truth, right? 
I get to I get to create what is going on within this time period with the the things that are going on within my lifespan. And I can also mix it in with things that are in history, and then I can create a lesson out of it so that I can give you a principle of what's going on, okay? Or, or give you a, a life lesson out of something that's going on in revelations. This is idealism. In general, the idealist view is marked by the refusal to identify any of the images with specific future events. So they're always vague about future events, but they'll always try to draw from them and try to sound like they know what they're talking about. Remember, it's their own interpretation. It's an idealistic um, point of view within revelations. It's also probably one of the most dangerous ones. The other one that is the most popular is what is called partial Peterism. So they take elements of Peterism and they go into what is partial Peterism. So partial Peterism is a modified uh, stance. It is held by the Catholic Church. It is also held by the mainstream Protestant Church as well, uh, the denominations of the 21st century, according to which almost all of the book of Revelations has been or is now fulfilled, and only the second coming of Christ is the general resurrection and the general resurrection of the dead. Um, of the final judgment remains to be realized in the fullness at the end of time. And this is the most popular view because these are some of the biggest uh, religious. Uh, religious organizations, right? You have the Catholic Church, you have the Protestant movement, and everything that falls underneath the Protestant movement, which is most of your uh, your, your Baptists, um, your Presbyterians, mo most of that, how it all kind of flows. So this is the largest held view, that Revelations has already been completed except for what? For the coming of Jesus Christ and judgment. So that's what they are waiting on. And it's, um, and it's popular for a reason, because there's a lot of historical... Um, evidence to support their claims, whether you want to take that or, or not is, is up to you, um, as long as you can create your own evidence to support it. Um, we, we call that exegesis, right? If I want to teach something, I have to exegetically execute my uh, my view historically, textually in history, textually within scripture, textually within uh, what, what we find in that time. If I can't execute those things and those things never existed, what I'm teaching within that time period and I'm teaching it, then odds are I'm probably wrong, okay? Uh, you know, and, and I see this all the time. We, we see, and it's the reason why we have what? We have so many denominations. Why do I have so many denominations? Number one, someone got hurt and they just broke away from the church and then they, they, uh, they created their own their own thought process, their own theology, and usually it's to the extreme of what this other uh, group stands for, and that's typically what, what we start to see. So partial Peterism. It is, everything has already happened except for judgment and uh, uh, the coming of Christ. So futurism. This is the fun one. Futurism is the one that we kind of see now. Uh, and it's kind of a mix between idealism and, uh, and futurism. So, like, what is it? Believers in this method have exactly the opposite interpretations of, of Peterists. And, and futurists see almost everything in Revelations as occurring just before the second coming of Jesus Christ and onwards. These events have not happened yet, but are, but are going to happen. This is the result of the cottage industry um, of sorts. Basically, 
uh, people really not taking the time to study where these scriptures come from, why they were written, and, and how they were written. And I'm hoping I can get to that today. Um, so what do they do? These, these teachers uh, of, that teach futurism, they take the geopolitical climate of today. They take the events of today, and they say, this, this applies to, to Revelations 18. This applies to Revelations 16. This applies to Revelations 15. This is what's happening. You see what's happening in the Middle East right now? Great persecution. Um, the Iraq War, this and that, the whipping of the hair, it's a helicopter, all this stuff. And I'm not here to discredit any of those folks, but um, a lot of times it's imaginative. And you'll hear like, I got this from God. I got this from, from the spiritual world. This is what revelations means. This is what it is. You know, we've even had here, and is Pastor Carlin here? Fantastic. Okay. So we even had in here a man who was brought out or, or came in here, and he said that the world was going to end in 2012. And thank goodness because Pastor Carl came up here, and then he corrected him and said, we don't know when Christ is. And in reality, Revelations, that's basically what it teaches. You don't know when. We'll, we'll be able to recognize a season maybe, um, but all it really tells you to do is to have your house in order. If you're living the way Christ wants you to live, if you are living a Christian lifestyle, if you, if, you, if you love Christ and you're embracing all the teachings of Jesus Christ, the principles of Christianity, then you're going to make it no matter what happens in this world. It doesn't matter if you believe in pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, when we're going to leave. Matter of fact, you know, when someone comes up and let's say we are in the tribulation and something's going on and they're killing us and they are and they're seeking us out because uh, it's already happened before, and that's happening in our life, you know, we'll be able to stand and become martyrs for what we believe in. It would, it would be, you know, that, that's really the ultimate test. Am I willing to die for this faith? Um, and time and time again, we see throughout history, people are willing to sacrifice themselves through or for this faith. The futuristic school of thought was founded in the 1600s. It looks for the Antichrist, it looks for Babylon, the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem at the end of the Christian uh, dispensation. We, this is also called dispensationalism. If you want to look that up, that's a good one to look up, what dispensationalism is. I don't personally pertain to it. Um, some people do. You know, as long as you have good theological background to back it up and history and all that stuff, then um, I'll probably still disagree with you, but it'll be fun. Uh, and it includes Herbert Armstrong and the Worldwide Church of God. Uh, this is like, you guys, have you guys ever heard of family radio? I used to listen to it when I was little. I don't know. So family radio, right? Uh, he was the guy who famously announced the second coming of Jesus Christ in judgment uh, on September 6, 1994. I still remember that as a kid. Uh, it was a big thing because family radio was one of the biggest radio shows uh, going across America at the time. Um, Christian ones, and uh, he prophesied this, and everybody was like, oh my goodness, this is going to happen, and everybody was so willing to believe in this, and then it didn't happen, and then he goes on, and he wants to go dig himself more of a hole, and he, re, uh, <laughs> he, he, he corrects himself, and he said that the Lord will return on uh, the 21st of 2011, it's 2019, and so we have these types of people. And how many people in here have ever heard these types of people, right? They, they go on, they preach these things that go on at the end of 
at, at the end times. They take the geopolitical climate right now and they apply it to their life and then they apply it to the book of Revelations instead of allowing the book of Revelations to speak for itself. People try speaking for it and what it means and they, you know, God likes to make them look like a fool, to be honest. Um, you know, back in the day, if you were Back in the day, if you were to prophesy something like that and it didn't happen in the Old Testament, do you know what they did to you? There it is. Say it loud. Loud and proud. They would stone you. You would die if it didn't come to pass. If I were to give a clear date of when something was supposed to happen and it didn't happen, you'd just die. The people wouldn't put up with it. So we'll go on to the, the more fun things here. It's Post-trib, right? How many people in here believe in post-trib? Post-trib. How many people in here believe in pre-trib? Awesome. Great stuff. Okay, so post-tribulation, we're, we're going to learn about where this stuff kind of comes from. Me personally, um, historically, it doesn't really teach either way, in, in my own opinion, but we'll, we'll go through it. The older use of the term rapture is simply a, a symbol for the final resurrection, generally without a belief that a group of people is left behind on this earth, and it is, it is the extended uh, tri tribulation period after the events of First Thessalonians and Revelations 20 and 5. Uh, this distinction is important as more ancient and traditional types of Christianity never referred to the rapture in religious education, but might use the older and more gen general sense of the word rapture in referring to what happens um, during the final resurrection. Whenever we talked about the rapture before or 1830, basically they were talking about post-tribulation because post-tribulation is the traditional older teaching of the word of God. Pre-trib is very new. On, uh, according to, uh, you know, it, it's something, it, number one, it's very new uh, in the theological world because it hasn't been de debated all that much. And by very new, I mean uh, 1824 is when pre-trib came onto the, the scene and people were starting to talk about pre-trib, that God's going to take us out before the tribulation. Before that time, it was all post-trib. And, um, and it, it was all post-tribulation. This is what people believe, that we will go through a tribulation period uh, through the examples of our our apostles through the examples of the um, the church uh, that really Revelations was talking about in the intermission period of uh, of when Nero and um, Nero and Demius was uh, was persecuting the church by the thousands, running them outside of Rome, killing them in uh, in you know real persecution, and you know something another thing that's kind of funny is when people people say we're we're living in the end times right now. And we're being persecuted right now. I'm like, I am in a public place preaching the word of God. In what way am I being persecuted? In what way is, is the world coming down on Christians? The third largest food chain is Chick-fil-A. It's a Christian. Their, their mission statement is to glorify God or to be stewards of God. Um, so in America, not so much. In the Middle East, a little bit more. There's about 218 Christians that die every single month. Uh, in the Middle East. So just let that sink in. We live in completely different worlds, obviously. So post-tribulation, um, it talks about what? That we will go through the tribulation, the tribulation and trials, the things that are going to, to happen in judgment. And then uh, after we, quote unquote, prove ourselves, we'll be taken up. 
pre-tribulation, at the beginning of uh, 1824 with the practicing preaching of John Nelson Darby uh, and the Plymouth Brother in New England, a doctrine of pre-tribulation uh, rapture was first introduced, a doctrine never mentioned or debated in all the prior centuries of Christianity. Christians aware of this novelty and citing uh, Galatians 1, 6 through 9 and 2 Timothy 4, 3, Titus uh, 3, 10. You don't have to put any of those in. Um, we'll get to this probably on my next time, my next installment of Revelations. Uh, we're utterly reject this false doctrine. Um, th this is them saying this, that they would reject it, and this is how they would reject it, citing these scriptures. In, pre in the pre-tribulation view, a group um, a group of people will be left behind on earth. Another group will literally leave uh, to meet the Lord in the air. This is now the most common use of the word rapture, um, especially among fundamentalist Christians in the United States. Pre-tribulation uh, pre is something that's really you only see in the United States. You don't see it anywhere else. You don't see it outside the United States. It's a phenomenon that happened, and people uh, have, have taken it, and it's a, it's a great thought. And um, there is scripture to kind of debate with it and to, uh, and to you know, solidify its point of view. If there wasn't, then, it, you know, it wouldn't be there. In the pre-trib view, a group of people will be left behind on this earth after another group leaves. Um, they believe that true Christians will not be punished in the wicked earth, but God will catch them up so that they will not have to go through or endure or suffer the great tribulation. At that day which had come and all who dwell on the face of the earth... Um, in Luke uh, 21 and 35, uh, compared to Revelation 7, 14, uh, we'll go through all that later, to the objection uh, that the first res uh, resurrection of Revelations 20 and 5 and 1 Thessalonians uh, 4 and 16 and 17 comes after the events of the Great Tribulations and pre-tribulists, pre they will typically respond by citing Revelations 7.14, the example of Lot being brought out of Sodom before it was destroyed in Genesis 19 and 16. And by the teachings of the events of the book of Revelations are not necessarily presented in chronological order. So basically what I just said there is Revelations is not presented in chronological order. When you're reading in it, most scholars are saying, you know, this, he's writing this stuff down, but it's not in chronological order. Or, um, and that's where it brings in the confusing. So when do I come out? Do I come out post? Do I come out pre? If it's not written in chronological order, then what's going on? And this is what I'm trying to get to if we would just keep our house in order. If we would just live right, if we just lived in Christ, you know, the, the Christian lifestyle, the morality, the values within the spirit of God, walking in the spirit, taking after the fruit of the spirit, then it doesn't matter what it is. Me personally, I don't pertain to any of it, um, except that Jesus Christ is coming. And when Jesus Christ comes I, and judgment comes, that I will have my house in order. Um, when you take a position and you try to solidify it, there's just so much gray area uh, that, that happens. And I'm not saying you have to believe like me. If you're pre-trib, stay pre-trib. As long as you can defend it and you can have a meaningful conversation about it. If you're post-trib, stay post-trib. If you have a meaningful conversation about it, because we're all going to find out. You know? <laughs> like, eventually, we're all going to find out what it, what it is. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it's not a salvational issue in my mind. It's, it's not a... Uh, it's not something that's going to cause you to go to hell if you believe one way or the other, um, like some denominations try to do. All right, I'm going to go through this real quick because I am almost out of time. So 
we'll go through the chapters real quick of a, historically what Revelations actually stood for. And this was the teaching. And, and I'm just going to go through this teaching from uh, basically after, after John, he writes the book and the theologies that came and played out. Because you have to remember, when we, when we listen to some of these, uh, these guys come up here and they exhort the geopolitical climate, this, is, this means this now. This means this. There's hundreds of these guys. And guess what? There was hundreds of them through history. And through history, they were taking the geopolitical climate of that time period, and they were saying, hey, this is what's going on. The, the, Jesus is coming back. We're living in the end times. We've been living in the end times for 2,000 years. And, and that's, that's kind of the truth. Like, Jesus Christ is coming back. Treat it as the end times. It's fine. Um, because Christ is coming back. So the chapters. Chapter, we'll start at chapter 6. Because remember, 1 through 5 is typically the revelation of Jesus Christ, of who Jesus Christ is. And so chapter 6. Uh, historically, this is what's been taught for 1,500 years before these other doctrines started to come. And because these, and so when, and these are what are called orthodoxies. Um, this is what was the orthodox teaching of the church. And uh, uh, for 1,500 years before these new revelations, even within, you know, post post-trib or, or pre-trib, 1824, um, you know, so 1824 years uh, later. So this is, these are the teachings that were here before that time period. Chapter 6 is the Assyrian Babylon conquest, the siege and the fall of Jerusalem, the, the cry of the innocent blood for the justice, the exile of Babylon, the Persian conquest, and the decree of Queen Esther and Mordecai against the enemies of the Jew. Chapter 7 is telling us the story of the return of the exiles to Jerusalem, the celebration of the Passover and the feast of, of the booths. Um, before the altar in Ezra and Nehemiah chapter 8 is the period of Judah um, the high priest through Onias and the high priest and the conquest of Alexander the Great which I didn't realize until I went to seminary school how much influence Alexander the Great actually had on the world of the um, of the Jewish world because he I didn't even know when actually he really lived. I knew it was a long time ago, but he was before Christ, about 300 B.C. And Alexander the Great is all over the history books, um, including Jewish history. So we see this, this time period talking about Alexander the Great, the, the assassination of Onus, and the introduction to the evil Hellenists and Judah by the high priest Jason and <coughs> Menelaus. In uh, chapter 9, we have the rebellion of the, the disposed high priest Jason, the invasion of the occupation of Judah by Syrian armies, uh, by Octavius, and the, and the Maccabee revolution or revolt beginning in 166 B.C. If you guys want to learn a lot about Jewish culture, learn about the Maccabee revolution, uh, what the Maccabees is. Um, some, some people want to make it canon or whatnot. It's a great history book if you want to learn about that. Uh, the... the and what we see in the Maccabee revelation uh, or revolt, uh, and it's continued by uh, Judas Maccabees and the Syrian general Apollock. And after him, the four Syrian generals uh, assigned to eliminate the resistance with all the combined armed forces uh, of Georgius, Nicnora, and um, Lyasis. And so that's chapter 9. That was a mouthful. Chapter 10 was the Maccabean martyrs, the Eleazar, or Eleazar, and the seven youths tortured to death. 
the commission uh, given to John by the messenger spirit angel of Eleazar to prophesy again. Chapter 11 of Revelations, the rebellion led by Judas Maccabeus and Jonathan, um, the priest of family chosen by God, his two witnesses, of whom after three and a half years restored the, the temple. This was the restoring of the temple, something that was already kind of happening. Um, and afterwards were slain, the rejoicing of the pagan uh, nations at their death, the revelation, the the, the revival of the spirit and the Jews when Simeon and their brother uh, assumed that the high priest and the leadership of the nation, the removal of the yoke of the Gentiles, the establishment of the high priestly, um, the, the dynasty ruling the independent nation of Judah under the law of Moses and ending uh, an internal strife into the entry into the Jerusalem by the Roman general um, Pompyri uh, with his forces. Chapter 12 goes on, it says, Roman occupation, oppressions of the Jews. It was the birth of the Messiah bringing salvation and the defeat to Satan. Attempts by representation, uh, representatives of the Roman Empire to kill Mary, the child. Uh, those spiritually faithful to God in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, established of the residence of the Roman governor of Caesar, Martiama. And then we have... Uh, chapter 13. This is the, the arrival of the Roman governor presenting the power of the empire, the authority to crush all of the resistance of its rule. And then the other arrival of Pilate. So this was the, you guys can, are kind of getting the historical perspective. And this is stuff that you don't hear very much nowadays. But this is what was taught for 1800 years before. And um, and so uh, chapter 15, the cleansing of the temple, the joy of the faith, and the, the, impeding, and the impeding judgments to come. 16, the Holy Week, the exposure of Jesus in the temple, the corruption of the Jewish establishment, and the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees in his blood, uh, his announcements to the disciples, basically the gospel truth. These are the things that were taught long before we started seeing these new dispensations. So what is the dilemma? And uh, I have to cut it off there. Uh, I hope this was uh, informational. But so what is the dilemma? The dilemma is that John was shown visions that he had to describe. And we're not, we're not quite sure, you know, what he saw. We can only read what he saw. One of the other major things that we have is looking at it through textual criticism. Textual criticism, biblical criticism, and historical criticism. These are the things that we use in order to create exegesis. And so, <clears throat> and when we, we look through these things, it's very hard and it can become confusing, which is why the book of Revelations has so much confusion around it or so many different types of explanations around it, especially when a new generation of people come along and they just want to... I don't want to say they just want to be different, but they believe they have a word from God. They believe they have something. This stuff can be dangerous. And the reason being is because that's exactly how Mormonism got created. I have a new view from God. I have a different perspective. An angel came to me, and this is the right one. Um, this is how, you know, Jehovah Witness comes along. Uh, you know, that I have a different revelation, a different understanding of what God has to say, especially about end time stuff. And we have to be careful with that kind of stuff. We have to be careful with that train of thought. We have to just understand that revelations is what it is. And we'll go through specific 
uh, verses and what they actually mean and the reason why they were written. There's a ton of documentation on it. Um, and, uh, and we'll do that the next time that I am up to teach. But I am out of time. If we could all stand, we're going to go ahead and uh, get our minds ready for revival. Woo! That was a lot of words. Lord Jesus, we, we praise you, we worship you, we magnify you, mighty God. Oh, Lord, we need you today. We need you, Lord. Oh, God, I have a need in my life. I have a need in my family's life, Lord. I have a need in my siblings' life. I have a need in my own personal life. And the only place I can get that from is you, Jesus. The only place you can help me with my needs is you, mighty God. Oh, Lord, right now, send your spirit down into these aisles and into these places as we pre prepare for revival. Touch the minister's mind and his heart. Prepare our hearts. Prepare our minds for the word of God that is going to come in this place. Oh, Lord, for you to come and meet our needs as your people. Oh, mighty God, mighty God. Oh, Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.